George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Look, I know you want to get to the podcast. I'm going to keep this short. When it comes to opera, we're the only ones bringing you everything you need to know about the art form, the people, and the stories you know, we every haven't damn done a week. roundup of other podcasts about opera late, lately. Uh, we, know we, we love Aria Code, but there are other shows out there. There's like Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, or Opera, Drugs, and Rock, is that what it's called? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but there are other people out there. So we don't know if, if other people are bringing people the stories they need to know every week. These are other really great yeah. opera podcasts for me to poop on. <laughs> hey, check it out. Five bucks buys an ad on social media. Ten bucks covers our website for a month. Twenty bucks makes a hundred lapel pins. So if you haven't seen our ads on social media, it's because we don't have five bucks. Or maybe five bucks isn't enough to cover our ads on social media or maybe we need to learn how to build the audience for those things look you know? 20 bucks that's enough to l- buy a face mask for our whole team so they don't catch coronavirus we can share the mask yeah that is not gonna work <laughs> yes right. the mask is not even gonna work we're all doomed the olympics are canceled thank mm. you matt cummings look don't think you can give oh yes you can simply review us on apple podcasts share our facebook posts or just retweet okay. us and tell people hey i like this podcast and that guy oliver here he's Most of all, keep listening to America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's Talk Radio Show about opera period, live in the Lakeside Studio on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1 Evanston, Chicago. I'm your host, Weston Williams, joined tonight by Matt Cummings, Ashley Hardgrave, and Oliver Camacho. All right, tonight we chat with the multi-operatic hyphenate Preeti Gandhi of Minnesota Opera about her most recent role as mover, shaker, and chief artistic officer at that house. And then in Chalk Talk, Opera Land has coronavirus fever. We'll talk about what opera companies all over the world are doing in reaction to the panic. Plus, around 9.35 p.m., it's the two-minute drill where we talk about a heavy scare, quote, mutual parting of ways between the ROH and Placido Domingo, the fact that Hitler apparently tried to write a terrible opera and a misogynist computer algorithm. It's been a wild week, folks. And, of course, you can call us on the air and get your voice heard. 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Give us your hot takes. Uh, on the latest opera news stories. Again, that number is 847-866-9687. Without further ado, Oliver Camacho, how are you doing? I hope people know to listen today after Daylight Savings. Maybe people are listening to the show before us right now. Oh, it was rough. It was so bad for me. Uh, Ashley Hardgrave, were you able to wake up after the time change? You know, just barely, just barely, but I was able to get up and double-check on my UIC Flames, who just won (laughs) their Horizon League playoff against Wright State just moments ago. Congratulations. So proud of those crazy kids. And Matt Cummings, it's been a while. It has since I've seen you. It's true. I... I, I'm just glad that I had one fewer hours to be nervous about the fate of the Olympic Games. Oh, God. If Simone Biles doesn't get to come back and snatch that crown out of everyone's hand, I'm going to be devastated. They have such a short shelf life, it's not <laughs> fair. Uh, I mean, I think she could win anything forever. And have you seen That's true. That, she the, might be the first 50 year old Olympic gold medal. Have gymnast. you seen, like, the. Uh, uh, I feel like every few months I see a GIF or a video of her just doing something that I could not even dream of doing. And it's 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 phenomenal. Well, uh, probably like four Simone Biles could fit inside your pants. So. <laughs> basically, whenever Crazy. I get up, it's basically the equivalent of four Simone Biles getting up. So it's uh, we're basically both gymnasts. All right, let's talk some opera. <laughs> huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Before joining Minnesota Opera in 2018, Chief Artistic Officer Preeti Gandhi served as an artistic administrator of San Diego Opera, including saving it from near closure in 2014. Gandhi has had a 20-year international opera career, appearing with the New York Philharmonic, operas of Los Angeles, Seattle, New York City, San Francisco, San Diego Opera, Teatro du Châtelet, the Royal Opera House, Prague Estates Theater, New York City Opera, and Philadelphia Orchestra. (laughs) Outside of opera administration, 
Gandhi has previously served as Global Network Membership Man Manager with the Chopra Center for Wellbeing and Promotions Office Manager for KFMB Radio TV. Gandhi graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Communications and a minor in Theater from the University of California, San Diego, and has served as a published weekly columnist with the San Diego Union Tribune and was an honored alumna and commencement speaker at Thurgood Marshall College at UCSD in 2016. And all of that, and uh, you're also an amateur painter, painter and dedicated flamenco dancer. <laughs> Preeti Gandhi, what don't you do? <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Hello. Welcome to the show. Well, that's all we have time for. So thank you for joining us. <laughs> I was just looking uh, to, to part the curtain here a little bit. Usually I have a hand in writing the uh, the bio, but this time I was just reading it off the cuff. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> well, now you can add a uh, opera box score guest to your list Which of many accolades. Which is your biggest accolades. accomplishment, you have to I mean, say. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, that's going to have to go in your bio on Minnesota Opera's website. I mean, come on. I... <laughs> As soon as I get off the phone with you all, it's going right out there. <laughs> we'll edit your Wikipedia page for you. So, um, right. <laughs> Princey, this is Oliver. I want to start off by saying that you are one of my heroes. And it's kind of personal. I, I, it's one of the things that we sort of imply on this show, but I never really have said it out loud, that you know, I am a person of color who has tried to forge my own career in this business. And I don't know if it's just I'm not intelligent or I'm not clever enough or if I'm not skilled enough, but I've come across some obstacles and I wonder, I always wonder if it's about my race. And um, I'm just so like impressed with how far you've gotten in such a short amount of time, how you made the transition from singer to administrator to now leader of one of the most exciting opera companies in our country. And now you are in that unique position where you could be the person that jumps from, you know, this level house to that next level. Like we see Alexander Neef, like getting every single job in the opera world. You're the next person who can do that. And, oh, my uh, goodness. No, you are. And so, <laughs> no pressure. Like once you broke, when you break the ceiling, now, like, the, you are in the pipeline for those big jobs. Well, you read her bio. I mean, she's a Jill of all trades already. This would be, you know, just a nice friend. Preeti, hi, this is Ashley. How you doing? Hi, Ashley. It's nice to hear your voice again. Oh, my goodness. It has been ages, ages. Yes. Oh, I'm so delighted to, to see that you're going to be with us today. Um, Actually, let's talk about that for a second. So we've got, you know, we're talking about the path that goes from, you know, being, you know, a, a performer and coming into the administration of an, uh, you know, a, an artistic organization, bridging that gap between administration and performance. So so for you specifically, like, how did you make that transition from performer to behind the scenes? And what are some of like the real big steps that you can kind of pinpoint to like that? I did this and then I did this and that's how I got there. Mm -hmm. Well, first, let me just say thank you, Oliver, that for saying all those nice things. Um, <laughs> there are days, there are days when I honestly, when I feel like I managed to push the needle a little bit, and then there are days where I feel like I didn't push the needle at all. It's it's very much of a kind of a, a daily goal, and you just have to remember that it's about the long haul. So thank you. Um, in terms of moving from being a performer to administrator, and how diversity and skin color plays into it. Um, it's interesting because I grew up in a traditional Indian family. Uh, Ashley might remember this about me. Yeah. And I, opera was not a part of my upbringing at all. So opera was very much an accident in my life. <laughs> um, I, I've been playing piano since I was about six years old. And uh, I came into opera while I was in college studying journalism because I wanted to learn how to sing just for fun. Mm -hmm. um, and... It was really, I, I went to the music department, I asked for a list of voice teachers, and I just picked one. At that time, I didn't really know that people actually got masters in vocal performance. I didn't know that people got doctorates in vocal performance. <laughs> it was really just for me. I was tired of writing papers, and I missed playing piano. Um, that, uh, to make a very long story short, every, every door that opened for me into the opera world and industry it was a combination of a happy accident, a wonderful coincidence, and asking lots of questions and knocking on a lot of doors to try and find out what was it about this career that all of a sudden seemed so interesting to me. Um, after a few months of voice lessons, my voice teacher gave me an opera aria and asked me to sing it because she said, you know, you have an operatic voice and I think you should see how this sounds and how it feels. And I remember laughing at her because um, I, I thought that was ridiculous. I had never seen an opera before. <laughs> um, the act of singing that aria 
Um, although I'm sure it came out sounding quite strangled and awful because I've only been taking lessons for about three months. <laughs> um, it was actually the kinesthetic feeling of singing opera and what it did to me inside and, and the amount of joy that it gave me that really made me kind of sit up and, and think, I have to find out more about this very strange thing. I, I feel so happy right now. I have no idea what's going on. Um, that's how it started. Uh, I, I love telling people that because I feel like so many people are intimidated because they feel like they have to be really educated in opera history. They have to know different languages. Right. They have to, you know, going to the opera means dressing up. And I love telling people, no, it's not about that at all. Going to the opera is just about being open and experiencing this art form and, and seeing what does it do? How does it make you feel? Um, how does it resonate with you? It's so much simpler than what people think in terms of being an appreciator of this art form. Yeah, um, and uh, follow. So that's how that's how I got into the business. I graduated from college. I started working at the radio station for a couple of years. I kept taking voice lessons. Um, I hooked up with San Diego Opera. I auditioned for their opera chorus. Um, I got into their young artist program. Um, I made an absolute test of myself in the office. <laughs> they had a listening library at the time, so I would go and read all their books and listen to old LPs and ask lots of questions. And they, they just got so tired of me. They just finally adopted me. And and I got to walk in on rehearsals, and I got to ask people questions. I even worked in the ticketing office for a while. I, I just needed to understand what it was like to be in an opera company, and I was completely curious, and I wanted to know everything. Um, they... They are so responsible for helping start my career and opening so many doors for me. Um, that's how it started. <laughs> that is fascinating. Uh, Follow-up question. What was that first opera aria you had to learn? Omio Babino Caro. Of course. We could have put, taken I mean, a bet on that one. So. <laughs> oh, but I bet you sounded so nice on it. I bet it was great. Oh, Ashley, I think you're being very kind. Like I said, <laughs> I three months of voice lessons. I'm sure I did not sound nice at all. <laughs> So this is a very but trippy. It didn't matter because it was about how it made me feel. Exactly. So that, that was like the, the moment, you know. So this is a very tricky question to navigate because you are in the business that you are. And many of your colleagues, uh, you know, are going to be white men and probably a lot of them white gay men, too. How do you navigate being a person of color in an industry that's really dominated by white men? And how do you make sure your voice is heard without, <laughs> you know without being too loud? Wow. There's so many ways I could start to answer that question. I'm not sure this interview is long enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, okay, so there's a few things that you said that, that are pricking my brain and saying, I have to answer that, I have to answer that. Um, the first thing was when I started singing opera, as you probably know, opera isn't something that has a real hold in Indian culture in terms mm -hmm. of an art form that is celebrated. It's very much a European uh, Western uh, culture, our art form. And um, so when I started singing opera, there wasn't really anyone in my own cultural community in my family that could help steer me in, the, in a direction that I would understand or, right. or would have been productive for me. Mm -hmm. um, there was that. So what I did was that's why San Diego Opera became so important to me in terms of my development, because I needed to be around people who could guide me into this career. Um, my teacher and coach I hooked up with a teacher and coach, and they became just like my surrogate family in terms of really leaning on them for that kind of support. Um, and then when I started to sing, after I graduated from the opera course in the arts program, I started to realize that I was one of maybe two or three Indians that I knew of in America singing opera. There, there weren't yeah. that many of us at all. Yeah. Um, and... You know, it, that wasn't really daunting to me in that respect because what I cared about was the music. Mm -hmm. And I was naive enough to think that my skin color would not matter, that it was about the voice, that opera is an art form that celebrates the voice and the power of the human voice and, right. and exploring the absolute beauty of this expression. Um, so to me, that's what I thought was most important. And over the years and auditioning for roles that I was not getting cast at and certain comments at auditions, I, I started to understand rather late that, wow, it seems like my skin color actually does matter, and I, I didn't think that would be the case. Um, it was a hard awakening to come to, uh, especially I had gone to a Cinderella audition in New York kind of early on in my career, and I remember spending a ton of money that I should have saved for my rent <laughs> yeah. um, for that audition. And I sang the audition, and the general director looked at me and said, well, we really wanted a blonde for this role. Thank you very much. Ugh. And I remember thinking... Um, 
do you know that I just spent a month's rent on this audition? <laughs> oh God! It, it wasn't yeah. even the injury of of the of the comment. <laughs> it was more about how could you let me fly out here and sing for you if you had no desire to hire me in the first place? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, things like that would occasionally happen. I tried not to dwell on them because what I tried to always do was focus back on singing as well as I could, serving the art form, and making as many inroads that way as possible and, and making sure that I was always telling a story authentically. It did frustrate me because there were so many roles I wanted to audition for and sing that I would be told even before I got there is like, don't, don't offer that because they probably won't cast you for that. Yeah. Um, and they would, we, they would be referring to, you know, my, my look. Right. I never understood because when I would be studying opera and listening to the greats and listening to old LPs, it didn't seem to matter when you're listening to an LP of the great. It was about the storytelling power of the human voice. Mm. And so that's what I took away from learning about opera initially was that was supposed to be the focus. Right. Um, now, now that you're so navigating that has been tricky because the farther I got into it, the more boundaries I felt. Right. Does that make sense? It, it certainly makes sense. And do you feel like, are you, are you feeling those same sorts of boundaries and parameters now that you're in artistic administration? Do you, do you find more of them, less of them? So it's interesting because the opera industry has made such a long journey in terms of diversity over the last 20 years, right? So mm -hmm. that part I'm very happy about. There's always more work to do, but it certainly is something that is coming to the forefront in terms of this is something that we have to pay attention to people, right? Right. But in arts administration, it definitely is a different kind of barrier. I, I have noticed there's uh, that many people of color in leadership of opera company. Mm -hmm. um, they, and that's definitely something that we need to work on. Um, Oliver, you mentioned a, a certain predominance of a, a certain kind of person in leadership and artistic administration, and that, that's very, very true. Um, what I hope is that with more singers like me turning into administration, uh, the administration path, that more singers will come along. Singers are become, it's becoming a very diverse field of singers, and more of us will start to flood the administration path so that we can start to offer our viewpoint, so that we can start to change that, that, that tide. Um, there are ways that I would love to cast operas, ways I would love to program operas. Um, and sometimes it's, it's uh, an, an easy thing, and sometimes it doesn't feel easy. I'm really lucky to have ended up at a company like Minnesota Opera because this company was doing diversity work before any other company in the country. Right. We were talking about that earlier. Yep. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> I got here when I, I started a little over a year and a half ago in July of 2018. And when I got here, I was just floored to see how seriously they took it. It wasn't, it's not just um, a mission for lip service. It's not just a mission because it looks good and it's trendy right now. This company actually seriously cares about this issue. And even though we have all of our own journeys to make and within the office, within staffing, within processes, um, within the environment, we're all trying to learn more about how do we make a more inclusive environment and friendly to everybody. Um, the thing that gives me so much hope is that I'm in a company that is committed to that process, no matter how bloody it may get, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how many days, sometimes we want to toss in the towel because it feels like you're trying to move rocks up a hill. But um, I feel so lucky to have ended up here where I feel like I have the tools to develop that and a place to be heard. That's <laughs> very interesting and ironic to say as an opera singer, right? But <laughs> it's, about, it's about how do how are we heard and are we heard authentically? Preeti, this is Matt. Uh, thank you so much for talking with us tonight. Uh, I, it, it's so fascinating to hear about your experience, and I would really like to hear more about um, what is up next for, for you at Minnesota Opera. Can you tell us a little bit about the, 21, the 2021 season? Uh, sure, I would love to. So we just announced uh, next season a few weeks ago. Um, we're super excited about it. Um, we start the season with Mozart's abduction from the Seraglio. Uh, then we move into Tchaikovsky's uh, Eugene Onegin, which we've never presented here at Minnesota Opera. It will be the Ooh. first Russian Ooh. opera that we will present. Road trip. Um, after that, we will be presenting um, Janine Chizori's Blue. Uh, we're also very excited about that. Mm -hmm. And um, then we'll be following it up with Rossini's Cinderella, or La Cerenentola. Are you, are you um, the understudy in case? <laughs> <laughs> Don't joke about that. I still have my old scores. <laughs> yes. She's ready to so, go. Having having covers for every opera's expenses, so you know it's all hands on deck. <laughs> um, and then we'll end the season with Paul Moravec and Mark Campbell's The Shining, which we're very excited mm. to bring back. Um, so that that is next season. 
Um, one of the things that we're really thrilled about is to bring uh, The Shining back for a second run. Um, we commissioned it in 20, the 2015-2016 season. I, I think that most people who are tuned into pop culture would know The Shining if you said the name The Shining. Mm. Most people know it's a Stephen King novel and rum, a very rum, successful rum. movie. <laughs> um, the interesting thing about The Shining is that it was the first opera in Minnesota opera history to be sold out a month before opening night. Really? Whoa. Wow. And you know, by your reactions, you know you can appreciate that in opera companies especially having sold out performances is like you know the white rabbit we're all changing right <laughs> absolutely we want as so many wild. people in the door to experience opera because that's how we stay healthy and that's how we get opera out there so that was incredibly exciting and um we're bringing it back again because that's the best way to get successful new work started to ground started yeah. to get grounded into the operatic canon by repeat runs repeat performances getting it out to other opera companies uh, and next month, I believe Kansas City will be producing uh, The Shining, our production, and then later this year, um, Colorado as well. So um, that's the way that an opera starts to get legs. And that's kind of what you're looking for when you're producing new work. So I know that you're relatively new at Minnesota, but were there some guiding principles that you employed uh, to select the season? Or do, can we see some themes or threads that will carry over into future seasons? You know, themes are tricky because... Operas are so varied, and there's so many stories that we want to tell. Right. Um, in terms of how we program a season, I can tell you a few things we look for. And first of all, like you said, I'm rather new I'm in terms of a year and a half. Every opera company programs a bit differently. You're programming for your audience. The way we program in San Diego is very different than the way we program here. Right. Um, another great thing about Minnesota Opera is that Dale Johnson, longtime artistic director here, um, now our creative consultant of New Works, um, he did an incredible job of cultivating the audiences here to have um, a curiosity for new works. Mm. So many cities, people are averse to new works. Um, they want, you know, what I like to call the mac and cheese operas, right? Yeah. <laughs> La Boheme, <laughs> Carmen, Aida, the things that you want to go to when you want to be comforted and hear something you love, right? Yeah. Which is so valuable and important. Um, but it's also important to continue to challenge ourselves and create new work. Not just because we're trying to add new stories to the canon, but because art is a reflection of who we are. Art is a conversation. It's a process. And when you're producing new works, you enter that process. And then you, you get to engage with the audience in a whole new way. And it reflects who we are as a community. Uh, 100, 200 years from now, people are going to look at the new works we're producing now, and they will have a narrative that perhaps we're too close to it, that we can't see it right now. Um, so that's something that's super important here in the Twin Cities. And so new works are kind of central to how we program. What new work are we going to show this year, and how do we program around that to balance it out? Um, yeah, one of the other things we look at is what operas have we not produced here yet. For instance, Onegin. We have never presented Onegin, so we're very excited about that. Um, when you present uh, the traditional canon, as we call it, like Cinderella or Section from the Seraglio, how can we tell this story in a new way? How can we cast it in a mm. way which will which will create new conversations around a work that so many opera goers already know? Um, for instance, in the Cinderella, most people may not be aware that the Cinderella story shows up in over 500 cultures around the world. Hmm. Um, mm -hmm. It is an incredibly global story full of archetypes, um, full of themes that so many people can relate to. Um, so what we, we're building a new production of Cinderella, and what we've done is we've made a very focused effort to cast it as diversely as possible because we want to highlight the multiculturalism of the Cinderella story. And I love that. We, and, and, yes, and we're talking to designers right now, and what we're, we'll be talking to them about is um, a, a, a dreamy, fantastical concept. What we want to do is we want to explore the concept of dreaming of a better future, especially now. I think so many of us want to explore the concept of dreaming of a better future. So we'll be doing that with our Cinderella as well. And we'll be having Matthew Ozawa um, uh, as director. So that's another part of our mission is to bring in diverse directors, diverse conductors as well. How are their experiences and their cultures going to inform these older stories? And mm. what will it bring to it that will be brand new? Oh, I'm so sold on that concept. <laughs> that is, that is so in. cool. Yeah, do you I'm, want to bring us all up to go see it? I mean, I'm already planning like seven trips to Minnesota just from hearing you talk about this, but definitely for Cinderella. Um, uh, well, when you do come to Minnesota, you have to let me know, of course. Uh, oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yes, yes. 
Uh, Preeti, you know, it's again just to kind of circle back to some of the things we had spoken of a little bit earlier. I, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's so great to watching, you know. You know, full disclosure, I, I met you a long time ago. But yeah, like it's watching <laughs> your career and like knowing the like vibrant and smart and just good human that you are. It has been so great to see your development and the the really awesome stuff you've been able to do. And I think it's oh, going to be, thank re- you. of course, and I think it's really going to be important for us to have more people, you know, coming into the opera world that that look like you and think like you in terms of being innovative and creative. And of course, you know, to, to really up those, you know, diversity quotients in backgrounds and genders. So if, if we've got little potential Preethys listening out there, uh, what would be <laughs> what would be your piece of advice to them? Oh, my goodness. I would a pinky swear even. Yeah, oh, right. A pinky I promise. Say, you know, I said earlier that that becoming an opera singer and getting into administration was a total accident. You know, I didn't. I wanted to sing forever, and moving into administration was also kind of another happy accident. Um, I would say that one, you, you should never think that opera isn't for you. I come from a traditional Indian family. I didn't speak Italian. I'd never seen an opera, and 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 now I speak and breathe opera constantly. It was not something I expected in my life. Two, I would say that you should never be afraid to ask lots of questions and open lots of doors, even if you feel like you're going to look like an idiot, even if you feel like you're going to look like a fool. Um, so many doors open when you're more wide-eyed than not. As I went through my opera career, I learned more fear as I learned, went along the way because I started to learn the traditional ropes that everybody was teaching me. And so many doors opened for me in the beginning because I just wasn't afraid. And I didn't know any better. I didn't know it was a stupid question and what was. So I would say that not being afraid and, and really having the courage to just ask the question, even if you don't know. Um, if you've never been to an opera, go experience opera and don't, don't feel intimidated by the fact that you're surrounded by people who might be in Texas and then the person next to you might be in jeans and it's being sung in Russian. Um, <laughs> opera is about celebrating the power of the human voice, and we all have something to say about that. It's important for everybody across the board, and especially now more than ever, Going to something like an opera and supporting your local opera company is what you're doing is you're saying, I support the power of human expression. And we have to rally behind that now more than ever. Um, I sort of got off track there, but I get so passionate (laughs) talking about opera that I I want to inspire other people to not be afraid to explore it because I think we we need everybody. Art is a collective art form. Uh, Opera is a collective art form. I will say that people... It takes all of us in that dialogue together to create it. People in power in in almost every field, but I find especially in music, they rely on people below them being ignorant and not asking questions and being afraid. So I think you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. You have to not be afraid to ask the question because then, you know, you're getting the answer, but then the people who are also within earshot are also getting the answer, and everybody just needs more information to feel stronger and more, you know, powerful. Absolutely. And the other thing about that is um, we were to circle back around to something we were talking about earlier is in terms of diversity and administration and people who are making decisions about programming and casting, you know, I liken it to, to uh, let's say, evolution and genetics. Mm. When you have people of a small community all intermarrying and producing, you're not going to get as strong of a species, correct? Because you don't have a huge gene pool to draw from. But if you draw from different parts of the world, different cultures, different races, you get healthier people. Biodiversity. What, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> and I feel the same way about opera, is that if you bring people from different cultures, different backgrounds, you get them all together to talk about opera, you're going to find a whole new conversation happening. And there will be new viewpoints coming into the conversation that might not have come before if it continues to only stay a white European art form. So it never bothers me that the traditional canon still exists because I personally love the traditional canon. I know it has its problems, and we're all working on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when you have all of us coming together to talk about the traditional canon, per se, what kind of new viewpoints and perspectives are we going to bring to it? Um, not to mention just the power of new work and bringing in new stories. Um, that's why, to me, diversity is so exciting in opera and so necessary because we have to, con- we have to reinvent this art form to be relevant for a new generation. And it won't be relevant to a new generation until we can bring in those new viewpoints. Preeti Gandhi is the Chief Artistic Officer at the Minnesota Opera. Check out their new season at mnopera.org. Preeti, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Lev.
Hey, have you heard about this coronavirus thing? That's up next. We're going to talk about it. It's America's talk radio show about opera at WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1 Evanston, Chicago. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Support for Opera Box Score is provided in part by Encoda. Endorsed by Sir Simon Rattle and Joyce D. Donato, Encoda is like a Spotify of scores. It's like, the, it's like the Netflix for new music. It's like the Hulu of notes. <laughs> Okay. Encoda is a beautiful app for streaming the world's largest digital library of sheet music on subscription. They got your novellos. They oh. got your recordings. Oh, they got yeah. your Baron Do They got your mm. Kalmuses, though. Do you want to have Kalmus at your fingertips? <laughs> I don't think so. I think that's cleared up by now. Encoda has aggregated a hundred catalogs from your favorite publishers. Mm. That's thousands of titles, millions of pages of music at your fingertips. Hopefully you don't get a paper cut, but you won't because it's digital. Yeah, you'll, yeah, you'll a get a million little paper cuts. You'll get a you know? tablet cut instead. <laughs> Practice, play, and perform off your phone, laptop, tablet, even your phablet. Wait, wait what's a f- <laughs> Okay, That's your uh, phone tablet. You know those really big phones that only basketball players can hold? You know? Basically, you can play it on your smart toilet. Yes. The Encoda <laughs> The app makes editing and sharing sheet music stress-free and easy. Search content, browse curated playlists, and discover new music by using unique smart technology. That's actually a really good idea. Like, what if you can have music on your refrigerator, those smart refrigerators? <laughs> like, so, like, as you're, like, standing there, like, trying to decide what to do, you could be practicing. Where know? is my milk? <laughs> this isn't for you, Oliver, because you don't do smart. Wherever you are, utilize all of Encoda's features and keep your entire library of scores in one place. Download Encoda from your app store today for free trial. That's N-K-O-D-A. And you could also go to Encoda.com to learn more. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. That's what you're listening to. Uh, Before we get into the Chalk Talk, I do want to say... Preeti Gandhi, oh man, that was such a I'm great so invigorated. Interview. I'm so delighted that people are beginning to love her as much as I do. It makes me so happy. No, we need ambassadors like that. Absolutely. In our All right. Well, I, unfortunately, I have to bring it down a little bit now. The Ooh. panic about the coronavirus has been hitting Opera, Opera Land pretty hard over the past few weeks. While most people are practicing their hand washing technique, opera companies are trying to figure out the best way to cope with an international health crisis. Here at Opera Box Score, we've got you covered with some of the latest stories. So, what we've done here is kind of um, basically what happened was I was going through various uh, stories for the two minute drill. And I was like, oh, there's a coronavirus story. Oh, there's a coronavirus story. Oh, there's another one. It's like, all right, let's do a chalk talk. Let's talk it out. Um, Because I think it's very interesting to see how opera companies are um, dealing with this. In very different ways. In very different ways. Um, And and part of it, I think, is is so... uh, it's so interesting because uh, you have in opera kind of a unique situation because it's something that requires a lot of people working in proximity. It's uh, large audiences of all sorts. We hope. We yeah. hope. <laughs> Medium-sized and, audiences. And everyone on stage is just for, breathing on each other yeah. the entire night. And, and for you, lots of Mozart programs. When, when it comes to, I mean, if you even say the words contagious respiratory disease around an opera singer, they immediately disappear into a hole. So I actually just ran they put outside on, right they, when you said they put it. On, <laughs> we put on four scores. Garbs first. <laughs> it works. Well, uh, well, it might be better than the masks. Uh, but uh, I want to kind of cover a few of the things that were uh, that were uh, that's happening. Of course, I think the biggest story in Opera Land is probably what's happening in Italy. So um, we have kind of like a, a domino effect going on here. So there was a, a, a report of a couple of. Uh, of uh, uh, staff members at La Scala who uh, were diagnosed with coronavirus. Um, and so as a result of that, the company shut down uh, f- uh, for uh, or for a few weeks. And then uh, Italy said, all right, no theater companies of any kind opened. And then, of course... Uh, Until early April. And then, of course, uh, then the entire country went and got shut down, like today or yesterday. What, no, what? Today. Yeah. today. Today. Italy yeah. is closed, everybody. Yes. Italy is closed for business. turned the sign over. The door has had the dingle bell dingle. Good thing yeah. Italy doesn't rely on tourism oh, or God. anything like that. God. I mean, it's it's one of those things where uh, it, it's really, uh, it's really you know, of course, an unfortunate thing, um, but it is something that a lot of uh, opera companies are trying to have to think about really for the first time on something of this scale. Certainly in my lifetime, I don't think there's been a... Uh, uh, 
a reaction this uh, this much, unless I'm. I mean, Oliver, being having been alive for the past eighty years, might remember another one. <laughs> His hackles just bristled when you said that. How was it with typhoid, Oliver? <laughs> what did they so say? Why do we think Italy is the European epicenter? Like, what about Italy makes them susceptible? I mean, is I mean, it that Venice just, is so wet? I also think it's just luck of the draw, and part of the issue is that these th- these things spread in unpredictable ways. And by the time you feel like you have a handle on what's going on because of the long incubation period and the lack of uh, public health infrastructure in definitely at least one country I can think of, but several others (laughs) as well, uh, it's it's hard to get a handle on it because the, the numbers aren't accurate. And by the time you think you know what it is, it's already transformed into something else. And uh, I think uh, when we were talking about Italy specifically, I mean, you were joking earlier, Matt, but I genuinely think Italy is a massive tourist destination uh, all across the world. So you have a lot of people coming in and coming out. uh, What I've always loved about Italy is like when you go to the square, how close people sit to each other when they talk like even men and you think that they're gay you hope that they're gay but they're just that's the way <laughs> Italian. Italian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're gay, Oliver. I don't always hope that they're gay well uh, I mean obviously the uh, uh, obviously the cancellations I think are the most sort of direct solution but that's not the only solution at least in countries that uh, are not um, to f- don't feel like they're at the point yet where they have to like cancel everything yes, on mass. Yeah. Uh, so uh, another inter- uh, kind of an interesting one is what's happening in uh, Denmark. Uh, the Royal Danish Opera. Uh, they're not canceling performances. They are limiting the number of people in the house so you can have like a buffer seat between you and the next person, uh, which actually uh, I believe you were talking about it before we started recording, Ashley, might be kind of a good idea based on what we know. Yeah, I mean, and again, to be fair, what we know seems to have about a 12-hour life cycle and then it changes and we have new information or right, outdated right, information. Right. It's like in the 50s when smoking wasn't so bad for pregnant women. But, but then um, it was, God. but then it wasn't. But yeah, I mean, but the thing about, you know, with, with these theaters in Denmark having kind of every other seat filled it's it's a way for them to sort of keep up some revenue generation but with what we know now with the current science of what we know now is that the uh, the the way that people can pass along the coronavirus which turns into the disease the, 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 excuse me the disease covid-19 is that you have to be in quote close proximity with someone for uh no less than 10 minutes. And right now, close proximity is described as, you know, less than a foot apart. So if you've got, you know, a full human size, now granted, you know, European houses are tinier and the seats are tinier. So it's Mm. still going to be, you know, just over a foot, but it might be a way for them to keep a little bit of that buffer. Now, that said, you know, there are are still plenty of risks if Danish men are as bad at covering their mouths when they cough as many uh, American audience members. Oh, absolutely. Because, (laughs) you know, it's it's carried in in moisture droplets. So if there's any sort of sneezing or coughing and no one's doing Doing, you know the good human thing of covering themselves when they do it. I mean, you're toast. But in terms of just being able to like sit and not cough for a, a chenarentula, then maybe you might be fine. In some ways, it's almost good practice, right? Because I feel like I've been to so many performances where you get to like that beautiful pianissimo and they just someone just starts hacking out a lung. You know, <laughs> it's just it's the Marshall's time. law of opera. <laughs> Um, uh, another sort of interesting one is what's happening at the Met, taking a little bit closer to home here. Uh, the Met is imposing a quarantine of sorts uh, on artists traveling from countries affected by the coronavirus, all, you know, 500 of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it's uh, this is, uh, I, I should say, I, I, I feel like... Yeah, it's like they're just Chinese artists, Italian artists, and did they say Iran or? I, I believe so. Those are the top so, three yes. countries right yeah. now. Those are the le- the level three travel warnings: are China, Iran, and uh, Italy. Uh, so uh, here's here's what it actually says: All Met employees and artists must be required to be in self-imposed quarantine for a period period of 14 days upon arriving in New York from any one of the countries designated by the U.S. Uh, Center for Disease Control. These countries currently, as of right now, as I'm reading this, China, Iran, South Korea, Japan, Italy, and Hong Kong. And we should say that this letter was was leaked about about a week ago. Right. Uh, so, so it's uh, it's a little bit out of date, and uh, and, and since it is a leak, I believe there's. Uh, there could be some question as to how uh, valid it is, um, uh, but I, I would not be surprised if this was um, something that they were trying to require. But the, let's be honest, that list is going to get longer. Yes. Uh, and, th- and that was what was so, so surprising to me is that this it was an interesting half measure for something that is so as infectious as a virus as this, which is by the time this quarantine is happening, they don't know what other countries, what other, what other travelers they may have missed. Exactly. Uh, and people who like I don't know how many links down the chain they're going like say you were in Italy but then actually came through France is 
are you a red flag? Are they going to catch that when really you might still be a risk? We, we don't know. And Precisely. Yeah. Exactly. I think for that reason, uh, but at the same time, you also can't like let uh, your entire immediate future be completely dictated by fear of something like this. Uh, it, it, because, you know, in some, in some ways, to a certain point, the show must go on, right? Uh, unless you're in Italy, in which case the show must stop immediately. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but until you have some notion of, of immediate danger, uh, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard for people who are just trying to run an opera company to be like, okay, this is what we're doing. I think the main strategy in the U.S. so far is basically uh, all opera companies um, are keeping an eye on it, listening for information from public health officials, but a very few of them are taking uh, even the Mets step of quarantining artists from out of the country. Well, it's, it's such a risky thing because some of these arts organizations are just one bad season away from going bankrupt, right, you know? exactly. Um, so it's hard to say. I, I think they should take, obviously, the advice from public health, but I don't know. I mean, Philharmonia, Broke Orchestra... Uh, is allowing their ticket buyers to get a refund if they don't feel safe in coming to a concert. And I think that's a little bit more, um, you know, forward thinking than just like, well, wait until see what the city has to say, you know. Give and, people a chance to get their money back. And the fact of the matter is abject panic doesn't really help the situation either. In fact, True. it makes it True. much worse. Yeah. Right. Well, and we're at this point right now where, you know, even even in a country as large as ours, you know, in terms of real estate, we are what you find in one part of the country is not what you're finding in terms of, mm-hmm. of panic and shutdowns and what have you as it is in the other. Clearly right now, you know, the the most diagnosed cases that we see are on the coast. So you see things all along the West Coast. You th- see things happening in New York and D.C. and even in Florida right now. Mm-hmm. In terms of the center of the country, the only thing you're really seeing at the moment is in Chicago. And even here, our two biggest houses, the Lyric and CSO, are, you know, they're issuing statements saying we're paying attention to this, but we have no plans to, to cancel anything yet. So mm-hmm. again, like the center of the country is going to be kind of the slowest role when it comes to figuring out exactly how many sets of programming they're going to need to cancel. And it's it's very much, uh, I mean, I'll, in many ways, the problems of the opera houses are sort of the uh, the problems of, I think, individuals in the U.S. and sort of macrocosm where there's not this safety net for when these sorts of things happen, uh, especially as someone who participates in the theater world as sort of a member of the quote-unquote gig economy, to use a yeah. buzzword, I mean, uh, if, you know, theaters start getting shut down, I'm, I might be unemployed for, you know, a month, which uh, is not ideal <laughs> for plus, me. Plus, not when ideal. you compound how many people in this industry also have jobs in the service industry. Absolutely. That, you know, mm-hmm. there's going to be domino effects among, um, up, upon domino effects of, like, who is going out to eat, who, is, what, are people able to go out to eat? Uh, and, and like this is going to be the topic of dissertations uh, right. for uh, economics dissertations. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, you know, health health pandemic possibilities aside, the thing that I think we're going to be left with for the long term in terms of a side effect is going to be the economic impact. We're already mm-hmm. seeing it in major tourist destinations. We're seeing it right here in the city of Chicago, um, and it it goes even more macro than that. So we have the economic impacts that are happening specifically because of this. On top of that, I don't know if anybody watched the news today, but the oil markets are completely pardon my pun, tanked here right now Uh, um, because we've got a couple of countries that are in the middle of a price war and they're rather than pulling oil from the market, they're flooding (laughs) the market with oil, which means that's going to drop. I love OPEC. That in a strong economy would be concerning. That in an economy that's already in flux is going to be even more concerning. Also, if we want to circle it back to the classical music and to the opera industries, think what you will about fossil fuels, but who are some of those major corporate sponsors that you see at the top of all those donation lists? Shell. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. BP. Exactly. You know, so, so the, you know, as much as we don't want to think that those things would have an impact on our industries, they do because some of our largest corporate sponsors are the fossil fuel industry. And at the same time, I think this, this could be an opportunity, a wake up call to uh, be like, oh, we have to find other solutions for if this kind of thing happens again. Right. We have to uh, find ways to pay for opera without relying on. Uh, the the hyper-rich individuals or corporations. Well, well, it really hasn't been that long since we last were asking that question. In fact, I don't even think those conversations completely stopped. We're still seeing the after-effects of the financial crisis from 12 years ago in the arts arts atmosphere or organizations. 
Well, one thing for sure, Omiya Babino Car will still be everybody's favorite aria. <laughs> Absolutely. And and quick apology, I didn't mean to say Exelon in terms of fossil fuels. Yeah. I meant to say Valero. We'll call them out instead. <laughs> I mean, really, any you can call out any any all of them. Um, I'm sure they're huge listeners. We, we <laughs> they've been flooding our way. Our no, way with Michelle, Opera Box score is, I can't. I, well, I, they listened to me and Ashley for like three minutes, and they were like, "Done. We're on the hit list now." Like, we're, enough. enough. <laughs> the Koch brothers are coming for us next. Uh, before we wrap up and head to the two-minute drill, Ashley, do you have any uh, pro tips for us as performers, as singers? What should we be doing to prevent the spread of the coronavirus? The same thing you do during a gnarly flu season, which is exactly what we have right now. A uh, couple of things. Wash those hands. Think of any tune that's going to take you 20 minutes or 20 seconds to <laughs> 20 sing. Minutes. Yes, 20 minutes of hand washing. Brunhilde's immolation. Yes. <laughs> ho yo to ho, ho yo to. No, um, no, I mean, basically, yeah, like doing the common sense, good human, good hygiene things. Washing those hands, getting yourself some hand sanitizer, but don't go all doomsday prepper and buy mm. 17 gallons of it at a store. First of all, you have nowhere to put it if you live in an apartment in the city of Chicago. True. It's too small. True. Um, so, yeah, just washing those hands, taking those normal steps to prepare yourself. If you've got medications that you need to have a hold of, maybe have an extra week's worth. We, again, don't need to go to the doomsday prepper level here. It's just washing your hands. It's keeping a little bit of extra medication on hand. Also, I don't know where this link between toilet paper and the coronavirus came together, but <laughs> <laughs> y- you don't need apocalyptic levels of toilet paper. Leave some for the rest of us, please. We need it in our own apartments. Otherwise, I'm coming to yours. But yes, just common sense stuff. Cover your mouth when you sneeze or when you cough. If you are sick or feel like you might be getting sick and you have the privilege and the luxury and the flexibility in your job to stay home, do so. Also keep in mind that a lot of state governments are starting to find ways to um, tap into some emergency funding for things like uh, short-term leave and short-term benefits for folks that wouldn't normally have things like unemployment insurance. But again, if if it's really if you really don't have the option to stay home, do the things that you can to stay clean and keep yourself safe, but if you can stay home. All right. Uh, up next, can an algorithm be misogynist? That's only on Opera Box Score WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1 Evanston, Chicago. Opera Class. Sports Radio Crass. This is Opera Box Score. This just in, the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in opera land over the past week. Congratulations to American baritone Edward Nelson for his win at the Glyndebourne Opera Cup last week. We'll cover some of the runners-up a little bit later. Season announcements have happened for the Boston Lyric, the UK's Grange Festival in Hampshire, and Dallas-based American Baroque Opera Company. We'll cover those, too. Uh, Facebook is causing a social media firestorm in opera land for an algorithm that bans an advertisement that promoted applications for Dallas Opera's Heart Institute for Women Conductors. Facebook's job posting policy for discrimination includes the, uh, quote, only looking for female applicants as its first example of a discrimination violation. Hmm. San Francisco Opera Center director Sherry Greenewald is set to retire at the end of this year. That's according to a press release from the center. Greenewald has been the arti- also been the artistic director at the Marola Opera Program since 2002. Stephen Lord has been asked to step down as conductor for Canadian opera company's La Traviata following allegations of harassment that emerged against him last summer. In a press statement, the general director, Alexander Neef, said, quote, While no new information surrounding the allegations has come to light, I understand that having a safe workplace extends far beyond physical well-being. And speaking of harassment allegations, the Royal Opera House has announced a, quote, mutual withdrawal of Placido Domingo from upcoming performances of Don Carlo. The ROH has previously stated that there were no claims of misconduct against Domingo during his time at the company. Adolf Hitler apparently tried to write a very bad opera, a page of which has gone on display for the first time in Austria in an exhibit about the formative years of the dictator. As you would expect of an evil megalomaniac, the manuscript of the opera was written after only a few months of piano lessons. Sydney Opera House has finally gone quiet for its planned two-year renovation to fix the main hall's acoustics and the all-important air conditioning system there. 
Tenor Jason Berger has gone viral for his performance of O Sole Mio at his side gig as a barista at Starbucks. Berger told the Boston Globe, quote, As an artist, you hear so many more no's than you do yeses, and to see that I was getting positive reactions to my singing and people were reacting, reacting positively to hearing a classically trained voice is just incredible to me. Uh, exit stage left, Patricia Barreto, former executive director of Opera Atelier and CEO of the Harris Theater here in Chicago, has died at the age of 45 following a battle with cancer. Barreto had been involved with a number of artistic organizations spanning from theater to symphony orchestras to opera. Soprano Eleanor Ross also died last week at the age of 88. A specialist in Italian repertoire, she was known for her Tosca and Turandot and for covering a number of Met performances, many without rehearsal. Larry Johnson, host of Arias and Songs from Classical WFMT in Chicago, also passed away over the weekend at the age of 72. And on this day, March 9th, it was the birth of American composer Samuel Barber in 1910, the premiere of Verdi's Nabucco in 1842, followed by the same composer's Ernani in 1844. It was also the premiere of uh, Amboise Thomas' Hamlet in 1868. Kurt Weill's Aufsteig und Fall der Stadt Mahagoni in 1930, and Luciano Berrio's La Vera Storia in 1982. And that is your two-minute drill. And that was an excerpt from Must the Winter Come So Soon from Samuel Barbara's opera, Vanessa. Uh, that recording is from the Glyndebourne Opera House in 2018 with Virginie Verez as Erica. Talk about a delightful new voice. If you don't know her, mm. please check her out. The mezzo-national English aria. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, those of us who are who went through conservatory or did opera studies in university, we've heard that aria a thousand times we heard it once. So, but it's know. so good. But she does it so well. <laughs> it, it's one of those pieces that when you hear it totally sung in a professional manner and not by someone who's learning it because their teacher told them they need an English aria, it's a completely different piece. Exactly. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about some of these uh, uh, season announcements. Boston Lyric Opera is doing uh, four new productions, uh, four productions, I should say. They're doing uh, Madame Butterfly with Korean-Chinese soprano Yulan Piao in her role de- debut as Cho Cho-san. Uh, they're also doing Philip Glass's Follow the House of Usher. With That's for you, Ashley. Uh, that's going to be state with stage direction by a friend of the show, uh, James Dara. Um, uh, and they're also doing Hansel and Gretel uh, and Terrence Blanchard's Champion, which is one I'm less familiar with. So founded in 2017, uh, the Dallas-based American Broke Opera Company's next season will offer three shows. Uh, Cleofide by Hasse, Ormindo by Cavalli, mm. and Giulio Cesare oh, by, by Handel. Pleaser. Good job on you, American Broke Opera Company, trying to compete with Haymarket Opera Company. <laughs> <laughs> There's only enough room for one broke opera company in this country. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, a countertenor, Michael Chance's Grange Festival, offers five shows this summer, Rossini's Cenerentola, Britain's A Midsummer Night's Dream with American countertenor Patrick T- Terry, Puccini's Manon Lescaut, My Fair Lady, which is not, not an, an opera, opera, but we'll allow it, <laughs> uh, and Jonathan Dove's children's opera, The Monster in the Maze, which will feature over 200 members of the local Hampshire community. Children's chorus, septuagenarians, all those things. Yeah. Yes. That sounds so good. I, I love those sorts of things. You know what I mean? And Jonathan Dove is such an exciting composer that Flight is one of the best, best new pieces I've heard recently. Mm-hmm. Sounds like there are three opera companies that could use some podcast coverage. <laughs> yeah, I hint, feel hint, like hint. there needs to be some sort of a, you know, we can do a quick plug for tourism to the area. <laughs> we can do a, a boots on the ground report. There, I'm just saying, guys, maybe maybe you think about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know. Uh, so there was lots of love for Sherry Greenwald. I don't know her, but... Uh, She's delightful. Okay. I can, I, 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 <laughs> That's I all we need to I know. I mean, Mar- the Marilla Program and the Adler Fellowship have... Uh, 
almost a unique, I would say maybe the Ryan Opera Center is up yeah. there uh, at, on the same level of a training program in terms of success in the careers of its graduates. Absolutely. You look at the you look at the singers at, you know, sort of our A houses here in the country now between the ages of, I would say, 35 and 45. And almost all of them have some sort of a connection to Marilla. So we don't have the digital forensics just yet, but do remember that uh, Opera Box score uh, did a story, a quick story about Stephen Lord's uh, conducting of Traviat in their season announcement. And wouldn't you know it, after our episode, Alexander Neve comes out and retracts that job offer. He must be a big fan Ooh. of yours, Oliver. <laughs> well, that's just what happens when you're uh, public figures like us. Uh, <laughs> do you think Canadians are going to protest that decision the, the same way that the Domingo stands are? They'll do it so nicely, though. <laughs> yes. they'll, they'll, they'll hand in strongly written letters. And then say, they'll all hey. go to Tim Hortons together. <laughs> hey, let's think about this. Hey, you go to the Leafs game? Yeah, you want to go to the Leafs game after this? Let's fight it out, and then we'll go to the Leafs game and talk about it. Uh, I, in terms, I think the the the, the most viral story I encountered this past week is this um, is this Facebook story here. Uh, so basically, what happened was they they were trying to advertise their sort of uh, women. Uh, it was basically job offers, right? It was offer uh, uh, offering women to apply for this program, uh, and apparently. Um, the, uh, it's like the wording or the picture somehow flagged Facebook's algorithm. Exactly. Like, so. But the the thing the thing is the thing that is very frustrating to me um, is is not so much the the flagging because I, I feel like obviously what uh, you could probably contact Facebook and get them to take it down. But the fact that the first thing on an example of discrimination on a job posting on Facebook is saying is asking for female applicants only is is so backwards to me you, do you know what i mean like uh, that's that those are we we need programs for women for people of color specifically in order to address the imbalance we don't need that to be the first example of oh you're you're not letting men in do you know what I mean? it, it's so frustrating to me it just rubbed me the wrong way this is all I have to say about this. <laughs> of course, we hear about the Dallas Opera Lady Conductor Facebook blackout during Women's History Month oh, on the God. heels of an International Women's Day, which was only 23 <laughs> hours long so thanks true. to Daylight Savings Time. Keep in mind, friends, this week is a full moon, the end of Mercury Retrograde, and Friday the 13th. You need to be nice to every woman you know this week. Between this and Liz suspending her campaign last week, we are tired, we are frustrated, and we just need someone to give us a break for like 24 hours. Here, here. I almost said a curse word in between the two here's, but I can't say that live on the air. Congrats to we'll edit it uh, for the podcast. Eddie Nelson. Uh, we also want to acknowledge our local team member Eric Faring, tenor who just completed his uh, two-year fellowship at the Ryan Opera Center. I thought he would make it all the way to the end, but I'm glad that Eddie Nelson, another American, won. Go America! USA. The, USA. Other, the other finalists were from South Africa, South Korea, and the UK and China. We don't need to know about them. <laughs> <laughs> Can we hear just a little bit of Eleanor Ross? Sure. This, is, this is from the live, complete recording of Norma that you can find on the YouTubes. was just headbanging in the corner for that entire thing. It was so. <laughs> is it weird to rock a goat during an aria? Because that is exactly what I would It's do. one of those voices that we don't hear it because it wasn't recorded professionally um, in the studio like her contemporaries were. But uh, man, what an issue. Look, look out for her pirates of Turandot and of Norma. It's such an incredible sound. Such a great sound. All right, I think it's about time to wrap things up. Or it would be if I could press the right button. <laughs> Good call. Bad go on Opera Box Score. I'm a professional. 
It's fine. Uh, <laughs> who's got a good call for me? I've got a good call. Uh, on the heels of today being Samuel Barber's birthday, um, there's a really cool piece on NPR Classical about the evolution of Barber's adagio for strings and how it was... You know, it used to be like the American national anthem of mourning, but how it's recently been adapted into more happy, upbeat, positive music, specifically techno music. So check that out on NPR Classical. And since it is Women's History Month, I will advise you to go over to WQXR.org and look for Fred Plotkin's most recent article called In Opera and Classical Music, Sisters Are Doing It for Themselves, which is basically a history of women composers uh, in opera, etc. It's a really good article. And this being 250 years since the birth of Beethoven, I want to renew my subscription to telling companies <laughs> that are producing his music not to ever describe any of it as underperformed. <laughs> it will not be well received. Yeah, that's fair. I also want to uh, do a quick thing here because uh, we have not forgotten about the San Francisco Opera. We are holding off until next week so we can do a more deep dive on this season and hopefully get a guest there if we're lucky. Um, But for now, that is it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general managers at WNUR are Henry Muscal and Somil Songvi. Our announcer is Norm Woodell, who can be found at voxershorts.com. That's V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S dot com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra with opera statistics and on-this-day content from operabase.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. And the podcast version of our show is available wherever you get your pods. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Matt Cummings, Ashley Hardgrave, and our special guest, Preeti Gandhi, I'm Weston Williams asking you to continue the conversation about opera without face masks. Seriously, folks, leave those for the medical professionals. We're back next Monday, March 16th at 9 p.m. Central with more opera news, more hot takes, and more clean hands. Join us then. This is WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1 Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's sound experience. Experiment.